Hey everybody, welcome to the DC3 cast. I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We're here to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on January 10th, 2018. But before we get there, I had an idea today I wanted to float by these guys. So um, I don't know if you guys saw on the site today, we published the print version of my interview with Dan Dudio that ran on the show last year. And uh, we got a lot of people on Twitter talking about the end of the interview because Dudio talks about how there's a creative team in place for Shazam. He's just waiting for them to get available. And uh, Doc Shaner took to Twitter. Somebody had tweeted him the article, and he was like, I presume you're tweeting at me because of the end of this article, but I can tell you I'm not involved. And then Jeff Parker said also he's not involved. And that was pretty much, I think, my and maybe our collective dream team for that, team, for that book. Um, but it got me thinking, like, if we're trying to do something really, really different with Shazam because look I love those characters so much but they haven't exactly been the best they haven't produced very good comics as of late most Shazam books haven't worked for some reason or another I have a proposal that I think would make Shazam really work and I want to run this by you guys you ready for it Mhm I want a manga team to do Shazam Oh think about I the, would like that think about the tone oh. of Shazam like, there's a more innocent tone, there's a more self-aware tone, everything's kind of winking, but it's not cynical in any way. I feel like a manga team could pull off that tonal sort of disconnect in the regular DCU way better than a Western team could do at this point. I only want it if it reads from right to left. I want it to be a complete manga in the DC universe. Not out of continuity. It's in DC continuity. It just, it's a manga. The only uh, I'm, not, I'm the, not sure how Jonathan Hickman would feel about writing that, but... <laughs> the only problem is that the only mangaka that um, any of the executives at DC, like Dan DiDio or anyone knows, is Akira Yoshida. So. <laughs> exactly. True. That is very true. Um <laughs> No, but, but what do you think of that in terms of, like, tone and concept? Because I think it's something that would be bold and different, and I think there's enough of a crossover between manga and comics that it wouldn't be the craziest thing out there. No, I wonder who... I, I mean, like, I have been saying for a while now that I would love to have um, the... Um, the artist who does the variant covers for background on the birds of prey um i always forget her name um to do a book and she has like a very manga-esque style so even if you know they didn't get like a big name mangaka to like do it i i mean i would love to see something i would love to see her on a book so she'd be a great fit for shazam i think I just feel like I can't imagine DC letting Shazam be what makes Shazam great. Like, you need Takitani, you need Uncle Dudley, you need all that weird shit. And there's just, <laughs> there's just no way that they're going to let, like, a, a moder- they're, they're not going to let Dan Abnett do that book, right? So to make it work, and also I feel like with the movie coming out, you want to have a book that can appeal across as many 
sort of uh, types of comic readers as possible. So do the best of both worlds. Give them a a familiar character done in a in a different style. I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I I love that idea. I love it. It's never gonna I happen. Kiss you. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's never gonna happen, but you know, how cool would that be? I, that would be- I'm. Who I guess we. I I really like that idea too, but I guess we didn't really talk about it. Like, who do we think that team could be? Like, out of all the people out there who are not currently working for DC or are working for DC and are busy. Who do who who could it be? I I, I know who Brian thinks. Who do I think? You think Johns and Frank? I do think that. Um, I just think that that's not going to like. If that's the case, then I think DC is shooting itself in the foot because Doomsday Clock isn't supposed to end until the end of the year. So even if Frank gets it done in September or October, is there any way that Frank could churn out another? six issues of something before the end of 2019 when the movie comes out in June or whatever. I, I, I can't see. They have to have a book ready for June, and I can't mm-hmm. see Gary Frank being ready to launch a new book three or four months after Doomsday Clock ends. He just works too slowly for that. Yeah. I, I just also don't see how, I mean, I feel like that book would have happened by now. Well, yeah. since I mean, since I, I that, know there have been things, but I was, since that Justice League backup ended, he and Johns have done two Batman Earth One books, and I believe they're contracted to do a third one as well. Uh, I was actually talking to a friend of the show, Kevin Gregory, about this earlier tonight. That uh, I I think I think they've said that they are doing Batman Earth One Volume Three, and so if that's the case, I don't know when that has to be turned in by. I, I just true, I yeah. I can't see Frank having the uh, the time to do that. Can I suggest something that will not happen, but but I think would be interesting? Sure. Grant Morrison and Cameron Stewart. Oh man, doing the Thunderworld Adventures, multiversity, you know, thing. Oh man, I'd love that. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I don't know. But see, I don't know. I you know. Morrison, I could see because he likes to come back to DC to do. Like, I feel like he's never going to be one of those guys who's like, "Nope, I'm leaving forever." You know, like I feel like he'll come back to do anything if he's interested. Right. Yeah. But I don't know what Cameron Stewart's doing aside from uh, co-writing Motor Crush. What else is he doing? Uh, he was doing uh, Fight Club Two. For, oh, is that Dark right? Wars. Right. But, well, right, but isn't that over or no? It is, but I want to say he was maybe doing something else with Chuck Palahniuk or whatever. Okay, I could be wrong about that. I feel like Cameron Stewart is not going to come on for a long-term project at DC. No, unless he's co-writing it and not drawing. But it. but but none of these books. <laughs> the problem is, is that none of these books are long-term anymore. You put an artist on a book, they're there for like. The first arc, maybe two arcs at most with, with a couple fill-ins. Right. So so really when you're saying like Morrison and Stewart on a book, you don't really mean like you, – you mean like three or four issues of Stewart, you know? Right. I, I would think that Stewart would do like six issues and then hand off to somebody and then come back in five years and do six more. 
But like no more yeah. than that. I can't see him doing more than twelve issues total of a series like that. Just because like logistically, so um th- this is getting a bit into the weeds and a bit out of DC. But uh, Cameron Stewart was, uh, I don't know if he created the character or just entrusted with the character in the Mignola-verse, Ashley Schrode, and uh, he did a miniseries with her, and then Mignola basically said, like, it's it's Cameron's character, when he wants to come back to it, he can. Well, he started to do a story and essentially said he was too busy to do it, and Mignola had uh, Chris Roberson finish it. And oh. so, if he's too busy to do a one, like a two issue arc of uh, of BPRD whenever he wants to, like literally, there was no timetable on it, you know, and uh, and he couldn't find time for it. I just can't see how he would do anything like that at DC. And that's no yeah. offense to Stewart. I just think, you know, he's busy doing other things, whatever sure. those other things are. Zach, do you have any uh, any strong opinions about who should do that book? I almost kind of just want it to be someone who has not worked on the character at all in the past 10 years. I, I would like to see something really different. Brian uh, Bendis? Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if this is a Bendis <laughs> book. Uh, I if, don't know. I, I can't see I Bendis mean, doing Superman and Shazam. Oh, I can 100% see that. <laughs> but yeah. um, okay. I can see him... He, he's going to be writing the entire Justice League and the Justice League book next year. Um, <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Six Bendis books. Let's do it. Oh. <laughs> How long do you think until we get our first DC Weekly with Bendis on it? Six oh, months. I don't know. Six, Six months. months. Come on. Six months. You don't mean that. I absolutely mean that. 52-2. <laughs> no, I guarantee you it'll be... More like 52 word balloons per page. Oh. You are correct, sir. Um, I feel like we're going to get a... Uh, it's going to be billed as, like, uh, Brian Bendis. It's, it's going to be the fucking ultimate universe of DC. <laughs> oh, no. Hear me right now. It's be Brian Bendis reimagines the world's greatest characters. I'm telling you right now. I actually, like, don't hate that idea. Oh, I hate that idea. <laughs> But, I, I kind of want it. Uh, Zach, you, you son of a bitch, Zach. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think the most interesting Shazam question, actually, is are they going to keep the Johns and Frank created, like, Shazam family? Oh, absolutely. Family? Oh, yes. I don't know. No, I don't know. I can see that going out the window. The movie is the movie is doing that. So they're okay, gonna well, keep it'll it be the, in there. Yeah. They're is, casting, the, like, the family. Yeah. Okay, there's a difference between having those kids in there versus having them all like part of the hero thing. Oh, okay, yeah, you're you're right. Yep, um, I don't. Yeah, I just I I think that the the most fun way to do it would just <laughs> to be to treat it like it's the old classic Shazam stories because those are the ones everybody wants. Nobody wants a gritty version of Shazam. Mm-hmm. Oh, someone out there well, wants yeah. it. Well, you know what I would love? I would love if somebody wrote it. Wrote it and 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 drew it or did the art in sort of like an old style where it was like, um, you know, the pages are a little bit yellowed and there's like dots for the coloring. And... Or you could do it in black and white and read it from right to left and have it be a manga, like I said. Oh, <laughs> you're a genius. Yeah, I I really want. Um, have you guys ever read the synopsis for Alan Moore's Twilight of the Superheroes that yes. never happened? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I just want the Billy Batson from that, from the end of that. Oh, uh-huh. That's what I want. Refresh my memory on, on what Billy is like at the end of that. It's been Root, years. Root me garbage again. <laughs> I don't know why he was Irish there. Yeah. But. Um... I don't know. I'd actually have to go refresh myself. I just, I just know it was like really grim and gritty and not happy. I think he was like, um, you want the Billy Batson from the, uh, Howard Chaikin, uh, horror story. <laughs> Where he's this uh, homeless. Oh, basically, basically he, he was a, he, he was a, a grown man stuck in a child's body. Apparently he, he didn't age his child self didn't age. So he, uh, here, here's a here's the synopsis. Uh-huh. It all started with little Billy Batson and his problem. There he was, unwilling to give up being human, still spending a lot of time in a child's body. The unfortunate thing was that although that the little Billy's body didn't age, his mind did. Trapped in a child's body, but afflicted with adult needs, <laughs> Billy went quietly. Well, bats, I suppose. A lot of the problems were sexual. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Yeah, that sounds like Alan Moore. Yeah, it does. Oh, yeah. uh, it goes uh, on. That's like the polar opposite of uh, Kingdom Come, where Billy Batson grows up to look just like Captain Marvel, and you, you think he's Captain Marvel until he says Shazam, and then, you know, yeah. Which is great. That Why is don't great. we... I, I want the whole DC universe to jump ahead to Kingdom Come, and let's just go from there. Uh, do we have to? I liked Kingdom Come. I like it too, but it's certainly not where I want my DC Comics to go. It's, it, I want progress. I want, I want time. Boy, hey, are we going to talk about progress. that today? By the way, hey, you know what the opposite of progress is? Regress. Uh, Congress. Am I right, guys? Hi. <laughs> oh, man, we are on tonight. Congress. <laughs> Why? No, no, no more of that. The Widow Love. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about heroes progressing this week. Uh, that that's going to be my theme, I think. Okay. Okay. All right. You guys don't. You sound like you don't give a shit. No, I give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's. Uh, I guess let's dive into this. Do you want to just go in alphabetical order, boys? Yes. Might as well. Okay. I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about like the books that are ending or whatever first. Nah. Okay. All right. We. I want that sweet Brett Booth injection right now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, Brett Booth, you are a monster. Uh, let's talk about Action Comics. <laughs> number not a monster. He's not a monster. I'm just, I'm just teasing. Uh, Action Comics number nine nine five. We're getting perilously close to a thousand here, boys. Uh, written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Brett Booth. Um, can we agree that even though Jurgens didn't draw this one, this is sort of the most Jurgens comic of all time? <laughs> it's very Jurgens. I'm just gonna set the record straight right now. Okay. <laughs> I know. I told I told Vince this before we recorded. Okay. I think this is the the best comic Brett Booth has ever drawn. I, uh, it's all kind of the same to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying this I, is the best I Big Mac I've ever a, had. <laughs> I think this is a a marked improvement over Titans. 
or, or maybe I just think it fits a lot better. I will say I think that this book fits his style better than Titans does. But I don't know if that makes it a good book. Well, I didn't say it was a good book. <laughs> <laughs> don't well, here, put words in my mouth, Brian. So here, here's here's what I want to say about Brett Booth's art. If you look at that uh, very first story page where the Eradicator bot or whatever is holding Superman in his arms, if you look at Superman's face on the bottom of that page, that is the best face that I've ever seen Brett Booth draw. <laughs> like, that's a face that doesn't look like everyone else's face, right? I thought, which but, face talk about? The one the, in the in the bottom box where he says, I'm a man who's happy to be home again. Uh, okay. I was going to say, I thought the uh, the booster face from a couple of pages later is the best face he's ever drawn. Okay. Is it a, is it a, <laughs> is it a nut face? Is that why? I mean, it's not, not a nut face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but I just think that that, that is like, a, that's like a handsome Superman that has like a square jaw and like, you know, the, my, part of my problem with, um, when Brett Booth draws faces is they, they always look like Brett Booth faces. Yeah, very similar from person to person. Like, but like Booster Gold in this case, it's Wally West in Booster Gold's costume, basically. You know, like with blonde hair instead of red. Otherwise, this is how he draws Wally West. You know. Yeah. Like you could mm-hmm. easily mistake it. And I thought I looked at that Superman and I was like, Am I sure that this is Brett Booth? But then the more I read the issue, I was like, Yeah, this is just. I mean. It was Booster that did it for me because every time I looked at Booster, I just thought Wally, like the way he draws Wally. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know, like, I don't know if I agree that it's an improvement, but there were aspects of it that made me say maybe it was better. But I, looking through it now, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't have any rubbery pizza, so zero out of ten. <laughs> But the costumes. They, they, they're a 10 out of 10, baby. Um, so can we just talk about how this how Superman has never been more annoying than he is in this arc? <laughs> and in this issue specifically? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is bad Superman. This is the worst Superman. This is this is just not good. But um, he's a criminal. He broke the law. <laughs> yeah. We, we have, we have uh, no gray area moralizing Superman here. Uh, <laughs> speaking, like, speaking to a character he's met hundreds of times this isn't like their first meeting and he's realizing oh my god he's a criminal like booster gold was on the fucking justice league you know he knows who this guy is i mean i know i just broke the laws of time and everything but (laughs) this guy's a thief (laughs) this guy has a gambling problem So do we think that at the end they landed on uh, Octu or however you <laughs> say that? Because there's two sons, you know. Is this like Zod's version of Octu? He came there to die. I, I'm, I'm going to push the <laughs> my uh, glasses up the bridge of my nose here. Uh-huh. But doesn't Octu only have one son? I thought the two sons was... A vision thing. Oh, was it? I, I don't know. I assumed that that was just the two sons on that planet setting. Well, but then like later there was only one son. Oh, okay. I, 
Well, I only saw the movie once, so... You did, and you didn't even see Yoda, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, it, was, it was such an Easter egg. I, I was gonna make a really deep cut, uh, like pseudo hippie Christianity joke. But I'm gonna leave it be because no one in the do audience... it, do it, do it. <laughs> I was gonna say when there is only one son, it is then that I carried you. But uh... <laughs> that's not a deep cut. Everyone knows that. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, this is a uh, this is a shit comic, guys. I I didn't hate it. I kind of <laughs> oh, I I, I like I like when Dan Dragons writes Booster Gold. I I I don't like when he writes Superman. <laughs> but this is a Superman comic. But one third of this comic was okay. <laughs> wow. God bless you. Vince. Well, thank you. This um, week had some pretty low standards set. Oh, I mean, if you're comparing it to the rest of this week, this looks like fucking Watchmen. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, by the um, way, my favorite part of this comic is uh, <laughs> it's on page 19 of our PDF. And uh-huh. uh, it's when Booster's sitting next to his mom. And she says, tell me everything. It's the, <laughs> the way it's like, I, the way it's it's lettered and her face, it's just like the funniest thing to me. It makes me laugh. I've looked at it like four times and laughed every single time. Yeah. She, yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a Brett Booth face. Yeah, it is. Um, She's looking at the pizza on her ceiling. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, here's a question I have for you guys. Do you think we're ever going to get the blue and gold back for, for real? Like the, the Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Classic Connection? Yes. Yes. Do, you, you do. You, because to me... Booster Gold has been like floating around in time for like seven years now, and I just feel like it's not going to happen. <laughs> like well, they're okay. done with that. Okay, here's why mm-hmm. I think it will happen. Um, we recently canceled the Jaime Blue Beetle book. Um, Ted Cruz uh-huh. is back. He's good again. Ooh, and. Uh... <laughs> Booster has pretty much oh, nothing to do. So I don't see why they wouldn't put those two together in a book if, uh, if the, you know, if the opportunity arises. I also think that you're going to see the whatever the next wave of books is going to be, I think is going to be all classic characters. I really do think that they they're all the new stuff is going into this new age of heroes right now. So I think whenever we get the mm-hmm. next wave of books, it's going to be stuff like Shazam, Legion, JSA, Blue and Gold, like stuff like that. I, I think you're going to see sort of the rest of the missing pieces come back into uh, into play. So, yeah, I actually think that we're going to see it, unfortunately, in the form of a six-issue Dan Jurgens written and illustrated miniseries. Well, mm-hmm. he does have to do something once Bendis takes action. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I okay. I'll buy it. Will you actually buy it? No. Oh. I I, I buy the premise. If, if DCBS discounts it enough, will you buy it? Well, it's going to be 50% off and yeah, I'll probably fucking buy it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, that brings us to uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, uh, number 18, written by Julie Benson and Shauna Benson, illustrated by Marcio Takara. Um, this is kind of a... Am I mistaken? This is a one-and-done, right? It ended definitively? I can't remember. This seems now. like a one-and-done, and... Oh, boy. Yeah, it. I think it is, and boy, it wasn't very good. I didn't hate this issue. Um... I, I mean, it, it certainly isn't great, but I don't think there was anything in this that was all that terrible. First of all, I, I do like Marcio Takara's art a lot. I think he, br- he brought something fun to the book. I, uh, it, I mean, it's a pretty dumb premise, and it's a pretty hackneyed premise, but I feel like... Isn't this, this like the third or fourth eco- eco-terrorist that they fought in Gotham in the last couple of years? Um, they fought him in Paris, not in Gotham. Well, I mean the Gotham characters, you asshole. You know what I mean. <laughs> Man, this is these books this week is the pink slime from Ghostbusters 2. It's turning us all against each other. We have we have to strip this week, naked. And, uh... This week sucked. Yeah. This week was really bad. Oh man. Um yeah, I didn't. Anyway, this book. keep going. You you like this? No, I, I don't like this. I didn't hate this. This was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Zach, what'd you think? Or let me guess, you didn't open the book. Oh, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Oh, it was terrific. You didn't know. Fantastic. Best best book I didn't read this week. <laughs> <laughs> you mercenary motherfucker. <laughs> oh. He is. Yeah. Zach does not give a fuck. No, Zach. Just the ending was just so the ending was just so rote too. Oh, like they're all just sitting ending, on yeah. the plane and they're like Yeah, they're like, Oh, we can always go back to being rock singers and spies. Hey, remember remember those <laughs> books that got cancelled that were better than this? <laughs> like Oh boy. I, I don't well, know. It just seemed so May may I offer my um my uh Dime Sore analysis of this issue? Sure. This was supposed to be the, the book's finale. Mm. It's issue 18, which is, as we know, the cancellation number. It wraps everything up in a nice bow. It it reestablishes uh, sort of the purpose for the team. It leaves them on a high note without doing anything. This is absolutely... They were going to cancel <laughs> this book. Oh, that's interesting. What stopped them? That's my question. Uh, <laughs> the the glowing reviews of one. I don't mean that in like a mean, rude way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean. I didn't mean that to sound like as mean as it did. But I like genuinely wonder, like, if they were. I'm like, I, what compelled them to? Um, no, you're right. Why didn't going, they euthanize this book and kill the uh, and kill the financial success of their creators? Right, Zach. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I, I have a suggestion. I I think, you know, I, I I'm pure speculation here. I feel like Rebirth has this like two year plan that they've talked about in the past, you know, and that pretty much runs up to the end of Doomsday Clock. 
I feel like for a lot of these books, for all but like the very worst books or poorest selling books, um, I feel like they were just like, you know what? We'll just ride this out to the end of Rebirth because this is our plan. And our plan is to relaunch a bunch of new books at the end of Doomsday Clock, maybe. And we just, we got to publish something to that point. So maybe let's extend some of these a little bit further, even if even if in years past we would have canceled them. There, you know? that's perfect. Vince answered my my um, rude and callous question <laughs> in a in a in a way that I think is satisfying. <laughs> well, because like this is just this is one of those books that's that's doing its own thing with characters that are appearing in other books and maybe you know maybe their story is advancing in other books but in this book there's like no arc for any of these characters it's just do it's just doing its thing there's no greater propulsion here you know so i feel like they could end it whenever they wanted it wouldn't affect a damn thing may i offer a slightly more cynical take on that sure I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I, I really don't. But I also think that um, because the New Age of Heroes is not rolling out in the way they thought slash hoped it would, that they have to keep these books alive for essentially mm. the same reason. Like, all those books are super delayed. We still haven't heard anything about New Challengers. Like, you know, it just seems like uh, Metal was delayed a little bit. So I feel like all of this was supposed to sort of coalesce in a way that it just hasn't yet and so I don't think you're wrong. I just mm-hmm. think the timetable is is less than it was. It's not the end of Doomsday Clock. I feel like this, these were supposed to make way for all the New Age of Heroes books. But because those are so delayed and because they're working with literally the slowest artists I can think of on those books, they know they're going to come out. Yeah, who could have predicted that? Who could have predicted that all the Jim Lee clones would be the you know most delayed rollout of a line of all time? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Damage next week, though, you guys. Damage! Can't wait. Can't wait for some... Twisted as fuck. (laughs) I can't wait for some broad ethnic stereotypes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, yeah. No, I... Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. All right, what's next? uh, Did anybody read Dead Man? No. I was I, I had I had fully intended to read it and I literally opened up the PDF, looked at the first page and went, nah. <laughs> and just moved on. <laughs> because, because there's like a million words on it, right? Exactly. I was like, nope, I did, daddy don't have time for this. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Uh to, to to quote one uh Kenneth Powers, I'm fucking out. Um, <laughs> let's talk tech detective comics number 972 the uh, the next the next installment of the uh, fall of the Batman storyline uh, we get another um, basil centric issue basil basil I don't know how we're how we're saying that um, as we talked about before I feel like this is um this is setting up a really important story, but it's such a bummer. Yeah, I think 
as far as arts in this book go, the one we were probably the most down on was the villain syndicate arc. And this is basically the direct sequel to that. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't care for this arc very much. No, I think, I think it's subtly setting up things that are going to be important down the road. But I feel like this is focusing on all the stuff that I'm not interested in about this otherwise pretty satisfying book so far. So, like, like what I mean is um, it's setting up Clayface to potentially be a villain again, which is something that could that could be like, I mean, hopefully they go back on it because I loved him being a good guy, but that could be just returning him to the status quo. They're setting up Jacob Kane giving his daughter a gun, which could be setting up like Batwoman defecting from the, the team, you which, know, which we've seen in Batwoman, like the colony stuff we've seen in Batwoman, the, uh, exactly that they the keep stuff. teasing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, they're, they're teasing Batman, uh, you know, maybe losing trust of the public and the people around him. And that is something that apparently is going to be happening a year down the road because we saw it in Doomsday Clock. Right. So they're setting up all these And they're setting things. up future Tim uh, being correct about everything. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Which, you know... All that stuff is great, but then like the current the current conflict that's going on, I'm all not, not all that invested in, other than between uh, Cass and Basil. I'm I'm really interested in that, but but pretty much everything else. Zach's right. This is like a sequel to the Victim Syndicate stuff, um, and. Yeah, I I was just a little boring. I just feel like this this comic could be so good if it were just a little bit less decompressed. Yes, you know? yes. this reminds me uh, a bit of like the middle seasons of Lost, where they were so interested in getting you towards an end game that sometimes they forgot they had to put on a television show like for the weeks before the end game, you know what I mean? Like there's just this feels like they're 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 setting up so many things, they're forgetting that you have to remain invested in the current product. Right. Yes. Um how, how dare you compare Lost to this? <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of uh I have a couple of arrested development jokes if you'll um if you'll uh, humor me. Sure. Is is Batgirl going yeah, to Yeah, he's got to get his rocks off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys. Pop, pop no, there's attic. a part, part where... Uh, yes, yep. No, there's a part where the mayor says, uh, he's a monster, Batman, and, and Batman says, so am I. And I'm, I a think monster! Of like, I'm a monster! I'm a monster! And then later, uh, later, Clayface blew himself. So... <laughs> Uh. Anyway, must be some sort of She Hulk to get this jar open. 
one of the best uh, jokes of that show. Story. This is, it is, yeah. This is the story of a, of a bat team that's falling apart and the one uh, Tim Drake who's trying to keep them all yeah. together, basically. All right, wait. You know what we have to do? Oh, boy. Which, which character's which? Of course, yes. So Tim is clearly Michael. He's the prodigal son. Tim is Michael. Yes. Um, yep. Is is supposedly the good the good one, the straight man, but really is also j- just as big an asshole as everyone else. Right. Right. Uh, so that makes Bruce um, George. Yep. Obviously. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Todd is totally Job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Um, Outlaws uh, Bruce. Steph, Steph- Steph Brown is Steph Brown is Lindsay. Yes. Um, although, although I kind of want to make which, it- which like it creates a really great uh, bit for. Um, wait, who did? What was that? Who did we say it was? Michael. Tim. Tim is Tim is Michael. Okay, so that works really well with the um, the revelation. Since at the end of the third season. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. For Tim and Steph. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, does that make Catwoman Lucille? Basil. Yes. Okay. Yep. Basil, Basil is... Uh, Tobias. Uh, to- Tobias, obviously. The, the actor. Oh, yes. <clears throat> um, is Damien else? George Michael? Yeah, of course he is. <laughs> Of course he is. <laughs> um, let's yeah. see. Cass, Cass is on Young. <laughs> on Young. Uh, he would he would go see a Star Wars. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And uh, I guess that makes um, if if Damien is is George Michael. Then who's uh, who's maybe? Oh, may actually maybe is kind of uh, Cass is kind of maybe marry me. I think that's all she says though. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only words she knows. Yeah. Marry me. <laughs> and um, uh, Tom, <laughs> sorry, uh, Tommy Blake is uh, is Oscar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you mean uh, Tommy Blake? Isn't that Hush? No, t- no, uh, no, no. Tom uh, Blake. Blake doesn't sound right. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the comedian being Blake. Yeah, uh, Tommy. Uh, Tommy Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. There, Elliot. There we go. Yeah. Elliot. Elliot. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Batwing is Carl Weathers. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's still going, baby. Wait, but who's Dick? Did we? Did we? Did we have one? Dick? Dick is um, to, uh, Tony Wonder. <laughs> He's here. He's queer. Now he's over here. <laughs> but wait, who is Buster? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Buster is um... Azriel. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh... I got this medal at Cult. Goosey tonight. <laughs> All right, let's 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 move on to the Flash. Uh, <laughs> flash number thirty-eight. 
written by uh, Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Scott Collins. We get the conclusion of this uh, this um, Iron Heights centric arc. We see Captain Cold join the Suicide Squad because why not? Um, we see kind of the redemption of Godspeed. I don't know. What do you guys think of this issue? Scott Collins is good. He is. Sometimes. <laughs> I... I I I thought this I thought this like pretty much every book this week was just kind of boring, just like a yeah a really boring wrap up, just totally conventional. No like nuggets for a future issue or like the next like I don't know him him apologizing to Iris I guess at the end but. I will say this. I don't know, man. He's, he's wearing a bow tie at the end. That's a plus. That's that's a classic Barry Allen Silver Age thing. Mm-hmm. That's about all I got. I guess if that, uh, ter- yeah, if that tips your canoe, then um... Tyler too. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This just it, there was nothing surprising about this, and it was it was a little overly wordy. I thought, and just ending with August Hart in it was such a predictable ending for him. Sort of in like the well, he's not a bad guy, but he's not a good guy type thing, you know. Um, I personally like, don't like. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't buy it. Go ahead. I didn't buy this like idea that that August Hart would want to punish himself because no one's forgiven him yet. It, like it just didn't really ring true to me. Uh, my biggest problem with the issue is that there's uh, I I just I don't understand why the last five or six years, ever since the New Fifty Two started, why they have tried to change what the rogues are. The rogues are some of the best villains in comics because they're not like every other set of villains. They have a code. They, you know, they're not interested in killing people. They're just these kind of petty thieves. That makes them really interesting. And nobody has done them just since Flashpoint. I don't understand why. I don't know why you'd want to make the Flash's villains like everybody else's. Yeah. This is, again, a case where, um, you know, say what you will about Jeff Johns' comics, but, like, he he really got those characters. Um, And, and, yeah, it it doesn't seem like anyone else has really been able to to get them. I mean, is, is part of it just that that the the live action versions of these characters are mucking things up it, it seems to me like across marvel and dc there are times when when they realize that they need to to do the silly superhero thing and go back to their roots and then there are other times where they try to update these sort of things to match 
the more realistic circumstances surrounding creating a live action version. And I feel like the rogues are constantly stuck in limbo because I feel like the, I feel like the writers and editors know what the rogues are supposed to be at their heart. And yet they can't, yet they have this like uh, mandate almost to make them a, a certain other way to sort of, match a more live action, more legitimate, realistic portrayal, and they end up waffling back and forth on that. Does that make sense? It kind of does, but on the Flash TV show, like the two rogues that have gotten the most screen time are Captain Cold and Heatwave, and they're both essentially heroes. I mean, like, I mean, I don't mean, like, hero or villain. I mean, like, the... the physics the physical nature of their portrayal you know like how they are portrayed costume wise power set wise you know maybe i think it's more an issue for for books that aren't the flash okay all right says the guy who has to review the flash after we finish tonight oh boy it's not gonna do itself it's not gonna do itself um yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get over to a book we have a lot more to talk about. I'm sure. Uh, How Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number thirty six. <laughs> Ganthet horny Michael. <laughs> Ganthet very horny Michael. Um. So. I don't know when. I wish we say by the way, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Jack Herbert and Jose Luis. Um. I don't know when the four Earth Lanterns got boring. <laughs> uh, when they got in the hands of Robert Venditti. There we go. Uh, this is this is what Zach is talking about in my mind when he talks about some of these characters we need to move on. Yeah. Like, Simon and Jess should feel like the young... I'm going to sneeze. <sighs> Spoiler so alert. Sorry. Great radio. Um, <laughs> Simon and Jess should feel like the young gun newbie types, and they kind of do. And these lanterns should feel like the old guard, and they're kind of they're kind of finally being portrayed that this way by Venditti because I feel like in this arc he's tried to stress the point like, yeah, we're the we're the four horsemen, we're the originals, you know. Except that, uh, so so Hal is Hal is death. <laughs> no, Hal is Ric Flair. Hal, we, we we've established they're all Ric Flair. Come on. <laughs> um, Woo! <laughs> to be the man, you gotta beat the man. Jet flying, limousine riding, <laughs> kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing, sons of guns. Yeah. <laughs> um. We're all bad. We haven't done some wrestling ones in a while. We, no, we... That's for you, Paul. Yep. <laughs> um, no, but but you know they're 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 kind. Venditti is kind of trying to you know claim them as the old guard, except that well, that may be true in the in the publishing sense. That's not true in how I feel about their actual portrayal in these comics. I feel like. Maybe John Stewart is that a little bit, but I don't. What is Hal like? Hal is just kind of 
a drifter right now, you know? Like, and, and all of a sudden, Guy is this guy is this character plagued with self doubt. That's like the opposite of Guy Gardner. I don't understand where the characterizations come from in the last two issues or so. Yeah. So if they want to, if they want to portray these four as like this old guard lanterns, the original four, you know, legends, I I I really do think they should age him a little bit. I I feel like we need to start pushing forward. I think rebirth. Rebirth was a great thing to revive a troubled New 52 line and get back to some of the things that that people wanted to see again. But I feel like now that we're you know heading towards two years into it, this is where you got to start pushing forward a little, you know. And you gotta and, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. And, uh, and just, you know, it doesn't have to be extreme. They don't have to be like elderly, but just age them a little, you know, head towards giving them like legacy roles. You know, it doesn't mean taking them off the table. It doesn't mean replacing them. It just means giving them, giving them roles where you feel like, I, I don't feel like they're legendary, you know, I don't feel like there's this world that they are like the old guard of, you know? Well, part of the problem is that the title of this book has never come true. This book isn't about Hal and the Green Lantern Corps. It's -hmm. about those four characters. And you can make them feel more legendary if you put Hal and John and, you know, I don't think you can do it with all four, but you put two of those guys in the command of the Corps and you show them actually commanding the Corps. That could mean something. But we don't yeah. see that. You know what we do see? It's what everybody's been waiting for. I know I have. The the Guardians get their their <laughs> sweet little red robes back. Their pennies back. Hell yeah. yeah. The Guardians are back again. Because it went so well last time. <laughs> they're, good, they're good again. Yeah. This is the most, like, this. Is, so this is the thing I was talking about. Last week, I think it was when I got ahead of our, ahead of myself. But why, why are we like going back to status quo again? Because they don't, because they don't know how to move forward. You know, yeah, I, it's weird. I feel like for uh, for the entirety of the New Fifty Two, all we talked about was how the Superman books were so endemic of the problems of the New 52. And I feel like that's the only... Superman is the only book that has aged the character forward. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Superman now does feel different than he did even, you know, a year and a half ago. He feels older and wiser and... But not, like you said, not geriatric, you know? It's just... He just feels different. But the problem is, I feel like there's a, there's a very concrete set of characteristics that everybody understands are part of what makes Superman Superman. And the problem, and this book shows it very clearly, for Guy and Hal, those things don't exist. Mm-hmm. They have not, and, and Hal used to have those things, but they've made him so just pedestrian and taken away so much of what made him unique, and they've turned Guy from 
Like, you know, love or hate guy, what made him who he was was that he was kind of a dick. Adding all this, like, self-doubt to him and all that, that doesn't help the character at all. It just yeah. makes him like everybody else. He he should be growing... In my mind, he should be growing into this bitter, middle-aged guy who's who's, like overcompensating for like a wasted youth or like you know maybe not being as not being as young and spry as he once was you know he should be like the he should be like the retired uh uh high school athlete guy who grew into a dad and like still talks about how he scored three touchdowns in that one game right and you know and like hal they really stripped hal after um jeff johns left he's they, they like intentionally stripped everything from him and are, and they're not building him back up. You know, they're not building him into anything. He's, he doesn't, he drifts around. He doesn't have Carol. He never interacts with Carol. He never, he hasn't like been to earth hardly at all. It's really weird. He's out there like drifting as a nothing character. And it's amazing because not, not five years ago, he was the third best-selling character in comics, in DC Comics. Yeah. Maybe it was more than five years ago. Maybe it was closer to ten years ago, but still. <laughs> yeah, my, you know, you understand my point. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I, uh, I really, I, I think of all the books in DC's stable... This is the one, or, or this this corner of the books, is the area that needs the most uh, revitalizing. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. It's yeah, for sure. So, Green Lanterns, you mean? Yeah. yeah, just the Green Lantern corner of the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think it is. It's one of the. It's one of the books that lends itself easiest to legacy too you know like it's a core there are rings that are passed down when people die you know like there are roles there are tiered roles for characters to play and we're not moving you know i remember before before uh the new 52 happened like there, there were there was a book about the Green Lantern Corps, and you knew about all these side characters, and you saw these side characters getting involved and having adventures. And these books are just basically focusing on the lanterns and none of the side characters. Like, where's, where's your like, Arisia or Sodom um, Yat? Yeah, Sodom Yat or um, uh. You know, you're. I'm thinking, trying to think of the blue guy's name, who I can't even remember. Like the Blue Lantern. Oh, Saint Walker. Saint, Saint Walker. Walker. Yeah, Saint where's Walker, Saint because Walker? Because where has he been? Where have Where have all these? You know, isn't he living a Mogo? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. We didn't. Didn't he get rescued not that long ago? Yeah. Yeah. He's already been forgotten about. That's well, and even like even in the New Fifty Two Venditti run, he created a lot of cool new side characters that got a lot of attention. Did and he? now don't get ignored, or that that get ignored completely. Who did yeah. he create? He had like a whole like cast of like 
four or five characters that jumped in between Green Lantern Corps and the main Green Lantern book. Um, there was the girl with like the tentacle hair who was like really good with math and numbers and stuff. Oh, there was yeah. the the like guy who was made of magma. There was the short, like the small little gnomish guy. Then there was um, I don't know. Those three stick out. I think there was the there was a big a big like alien guy. I can't green really man. remember him though. No, it wasn't Green Man. It wasn't Green Man because he was already around. There was like another new character that was introduced. Um, but it was all like during that time when like he was on Green Lantern and Van Jensen was he and Van Jensen were like co-writing Green Lantern Corps and they like intertwined together mm-hmm. and the book was like almost kind of okay. <laughs> um but yeah, all of those characters have been shelved. Um, yeah. I feel like every Green Lantern book at some point in their run becomes that scene in The Last Jedi where they talk about how there's only X amount of them left. Like, it just, they keep getting chopped down and we never see the core fully reborn. Like, I don't know if there's been a fully sized core since before Zero Hour, and I'm not even joking about that. They've always been rebuilding. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think they had, like, a full core, like, during John's, right? They had, like, the full 7200. Did they? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I thought when, when Tomasi and uh, Gleason were doing that book, there was. I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. I think it wasn't until the like lights out event that they got decimated. Maybe or I maybe just, maybe I just feel like they haven't been focusing enough on, or maybe I'm saying this wrong. I, I'm not saying that there wasn't a full core in terms of numbers, but just uh-huh. if it felt like there were so many. Like it was the point was that the Green Lantern Corps was new again, and it was all these new lanterns. And it, the, everybody oh, yeah. still felt like they were in some sort of transitional stage, as opposed to being like, "No, we are the the you know we are strong and we are, um, you know, we're we're not to be taken lightly." Like that's that's what I miss about the Green Lantern Corps. Mm. Yeah, and that's something we haven't seen in literally twenty five years. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's talk about Justice League of America number twenty-two, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Neil Edwards. Um, I did not care for this issue, guys. No, I didn't either. Is Queen of Fab? Is Queen of Fables another? Where Where is she from? She's not another Morrison thing, is she? She feels like she is, but I don't know. <laughs> I suppose I could have Googled this. Yeah. Um, Bat- Batman's still really gone, isn't he? Yeah. He's still gone because of metal. Which is it's one weird. thing I'm thankful for, actually. I feel like at least there, at least there's some acknowledgement of that event. Yeah. It's weird that it's mentioned in this in this book and not like any of the other books that Batman touches, you know. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This was I. Vixen pulled her hand off. 
Yeah. That happened, yeah. yeah. That and was then, pretty badass. And then supposedly got dead. Yeah, yeah. That's not happening. Sure, sure, yep. Um, I, I think this is a, a weird book because... On the one hand, it's doing it's doing things that I want DC to be doing, which is bringing back obscure, underutilized characters and playing around with them. And I feel like Steve Orlando gets to go into the toy box and grab, you know, <laughs> characters that nobody's cared about in years and write about them, you know. And yet, it's not very satisfying. There have been issues here and there that I've really, really liked. But it's kind of old school style storytelling where it's like, you know, villain of the month type stuff. And it's just like villain after villain after villain. And and we, we move on from them really quickly. And it's hard to gauge the impact that this team is having. It's really strange to me. I feel like sort of the the, the initial um, mission statement of this team was that this was going to be like a Justice League team that fought for the people. Remember, there was that was the whole thing in that first yeah. arc. And aside from them opening up the uh, the sanctuary, was that was called or whatever, um, to uh, to the public, I feel like there hasn't been a lot of that. There hasn't been. And I think there are there are a lot of interesting stories to be told there. If the public feels let down by them, like there are there are lots of things to do there, but I haven't really seen them do too much of it. It's just been like you said, this kind of monster of the month type story. Um, and I feel like some of the more interesting characters, like the Ray, and uh, and I think the Batman was an interesting character in this book. Haven't been around as much, or haven't been interacting with the team as much. I think when it'll be interesting when uh, Christopher Priest is is he the one that's crossing this over with the regular Justice League book? Well, it, it's not the the books themselves aren't crossing over, but this team is showing up in Justice League. Okay. So yes. Do we have anything else to say about this book? No. Neil Edwards did nice work on pencils. I like his work. Mm, yeah. Um, Alright, let's take a little break here. We'll be back in just a second with more DC Freecast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Klaus' Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Mr. Miracle, number six, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrids. Um, I'm pretty sure I know how Vince is going to feel about this issue, just based on my social media interactions with him over the past week or so. Um, so let's start with you, Zach. What did you think of this issue? I liked the payoff. The last, like, three or four pages of the book were very good. 
I don't think that it took the whole issue to get to that. <laughs> okay, so I understand what they're trying to do with this book. Like, especially with the Barda and Scott, like, talking about renovating their house throughout all of this. I mm-hmm. understand what that's supposed to be doing. But like you just said, Zach, that's like a five-page gag that's that's stretched through the entire book. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is cute. I get it. And then it's like, all right, shut the fuck up about it already. I just want to, I want to see actual storytelling happening, you know. And and for his credit, Garrods drew the hell out of this issue. He as, did, as he always does. But this issue looks incredible, and that's even more frustrating when you realize that, like, there's a semantic argument about what a closet is in the <sighs> middle of it. I think I think that this issue. I, I will Photoshop my own version where you cut out all of the dialogue <laughs> until you get to the page where Barda tells Scott she's pregnant. Like the, 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 I would have no dialogue until we get to the panel where Barda says, Scott, so I'm pregnant. I could dig that. Because the art tells the story, like, 100%. And it's beautiful. Um, this this issue, artistically, is fantastic. The, the panels where they're in, like, the trash compactor and the panels are, are um, like, lowering down on them is... That's genius. Like, that's so good. Um, and, and I really liked the tightrope panels. Um, oh, wonderful. Those yeah. those were, yeah. I, I loved Barda. Barda, of course, climbs across because she's strong. And Scott does, like, acrobatic balance beat. Just such a great, great choice. They're very smart use of those characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, now I really want this. I want a a D word balloon version of this comic. <laughs> so Vince, I, I want you to talk about how you feel about it. And then I want to talk about the, the last few pages. Okay. It. Well, I, I did, there were some art choices that I really liked, like the tightrope scene, some of the stuff Zach mentioned. Um, I loved the ending, the preg, the Scott, I'm pregnant thing. And the, I saw the face of God thing where he walks in and, Orion is essentially beaten to a pulp by Darkseid is what is what he sees. Um, and like all that's done impeccably from an artistic standpoint. I've really been liking this book. Like we've right. Like it's established on the show that as, as much as I grouse about Tom King, I've really liked this book. Right. Aside from these few really strong artistic choices, I hated this issue because human beings do not talk like this at all. Nobody talks like this except for maybe Tom King and his wife. But like this this idea that banter between two human beings that's supposed to sound realistic, like it's clearly aiming to sound mundane and realistic. But I feel like Tom King and Bendis does this too. I was going to say, this is the most Bendis issue of a DC comic this mm-hmm. year. 
It is, yes. And Bendis isn't even here yet. Yeah. Imagine when he actually gets here. Um, he is on the cover of this issue. He is, he is, yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. little pull quote there from, from BMB. Um, no, it's just, writers that are trying to write realistic dialogue rely on this crutch that annoys me to no end, which is where a character will say something and the other character will either say what, and that original character will have to repeat it, maybe in a slightly different fashion. The, the Jeff and Garland syndrome. We've talked about this a lot. Exactly. Yes, yeah. the Jeff Garland. Of what you, go, you went to the store? I yeah. went to the store. Yeah. And the and the teller look give you a funny look. Yeah, it's it, it is. It's it's that, and they think that that sounds realistic. Or a character says something, and the other character they they do. These two writers do this with banter all the time. They, he did it with Bat, Batman and Catwoman. Um, one character will say something. The other character will not remember that moment the same way, and they will argue. And then they will argue back and forth. And the thing is, is that does that happen in real life? Yes. But the frequency with which these writers lean on that for a crutch and the, the suspension of disbelief for how long these arguments go on in the – like. I feel like they stretch these arguments out. They think it makes it sound more realistic. But that's not how two people, like, that's not how two people converse. And they don't do it in this, like, mundane back-and-forth fashion. Like, this arguing about what a closet is, or, like, Scott Scott misunderstanding the layout of their apartment. Like, Barta mentions the apartment, and it's like Scott forgot where they live, you know, like... This idea where you make one character forget something so that the other character has to mundanely explain it and then they go back and forth. It's not what people really do. I know that's what people think realistic dialogue sounds like. That's not what two human beings talking to one another sounds like. Do you know who I blame for this? Bendis. (laughs) No, more than that. I blame Quentin Quentin Tarantino for this. Sure. All yeah. of this sounds like like this whole issue sounds like Jules and Vincent in the beginning of Pulp Fiction talking about the Royale with cheese and the foot massage and just like these little like slice of life things like holy shit they have they're they're pulling guns on people but they're talking about a foot massage like it's this juxtaposition of very mundane dialogue with very violent imagery and I feel like it's just this is everybody trying to be Tarantino. Yeah, well said. Yep. Um, yep. So I I do have have one thought about this book that I want I want to run by you guys. Um, so we've talked a lot about how we're not sure how much of this is actually happening versus happening in Scott's mind versus whatever. This issue essentially kills off all of the new gods. Light Ray is dead. Orion is dead. It basically leaves Scott and Barda and maybe Darkseid as being alive. Do we think that this is going to be continuity, or is this all happening in Scott's head? I'm starting to believe more and more it's all happening in Scott's head. I can see that. Yeah, I, I think I asked this question a few months ago about this book, because... Specifically, Tom King said that this was going to have an impact on the DCU 
coming out of this miniseries, right? Right. And we were trying to decide what that impact would be, whether that meant it's by like by the end, we'll realize that the events we're seeing are not true and it's essentially going to be a, a reboot. And by the end, we're going to have the new gods reestablished as part of the DCU or whether this was going to be the end of the new gods and we were going to go somewhere else from there. Like, you know, like the, like legacy versions of the new gods or something. Right. I think it's pretty obvious that they're not going to kill off all the new gods uh, going forward. You know, that there's just not, you know, I feel like there's been too much of a focus on Kirby characters lately for them to just say, you know, light Ray and Orion, they're off the table forever, you know, not forever, but for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, so I feel like this is all going to be in Scott's head, but at the same time, if we've already guessed that by issue six, there's going to, there's some twist we're not getting yet, you know? And what that twist is going to be, I don't know. Is this the way that Scott is processing becoming a father? You know, considering his upbringing and Big Barda's upbringing and who their fathers are and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is this just his way of processing this thing that he kind of expected was coming? You know, it's interesting. I still have hope for this book. I just hated the way that this issue was written. So I'm really interested in the answers to these questions. But Now, in Scott's mind, he sees Darkseid, right? Do we believe that Darkseid was there, or did Scott kill Orion? Oh. I don't know. Because Barda's, react- Barda's reaction, plus the fact that he's now sitting on the throne, to me implies that perhaps he killed uh, he killed Orion. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Is that is that him? Is that him imagining himself as the father, Darkseid? Wait, say that again? Is that him, like, imagining himself as Darkseid? I think so, yes. Seeing, yeah. And see, I I think that is far more interesting, if that's the case here. But I don't trust, necessarily, this creative team to pull off... that's, That's not true. I don't trust Tom King to pull off this story where all this stuff is seemingly happening in Scott's mind and, and not have it feel slight at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to be the wizard of Oz where he wakes (laughs) up surrounded by Oberon and, and and, uh, big Barda and you were there too. You know, that, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. We're halfway there. Live not a prayer, baby. Shut up. <laughs> you know how much I hate Bon Jovi. A bon Jovi. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. Slippery when wet, I heard. Yeah. Further proving that everything is bad. Um, 
Bon Jovi. All right, that brings us to New Superman number 19, written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Brent Peoples. Brent Peoples, rather. Uh, this is a one-off issue focusing on uh, Lanny Lan, the reporter that has sort of shown up in the background of a number of New Superman issues. Um, obviously, this is this is just a you know a, sort of a, a one-shot of fill-in while they get the Justice League of China book sort of ready to roll. And again, number 18 was supposed to be the end of this book, so this makes sense that they needed to do a sort of fill-in issue to, to get the creative team prepped for the new the new status quo starting at number 20. Um, what did you guys think of this issue? Zach? It was, um... It was fine, I guess. I mean, it was a fun little fill-in issue. It didn't really add anything at all to the story, but this is a character who's kind of been in the background, so... It was nice to to shift the focus a little bit. Vince? Yeah, I I thought this was decent. This was this was maybe my favorite issue of the week on a really down week. Um, it didn't it didn't really knock my socks off, but I thought it was very interesting that like Laney. It showed Laney doing some uh, a little detective work to determine that Keenan doesn't di- didn't know that Dr. Omen was his mom yet cuz this takes place like earlier right takes place earlier in the series i thought it was really interesting to that Tamaki like had her figure that out based on the conversation and and then Lainey's dad has his own like secret secret american family yeah, which yeah. i thought was a really a kind of a interesting turn turn for that character, and so yeah, there's a lot I liked about this, but it didn't it didn't really knock my socks off. But it was fine. What what I found interesting about this is that, and I'm sure that the Gene Yang had at least some input into this as he created all these characters and all of that, but how he's really doubling down on the Lois Lane comparisons here. Yeah. From like <laughs> yeah. from estranged father to detective slash reporter. Like there's so much Lois in this book. I'm not complaining about that. I just think it's interesting that they have focused so much on that aspect of the character. Yeah. I wish I had more to say about this issue though. Um, Vince Aquaman of North Korea though yeah <laughs> yes yep uh, um, Vince you read Ragman, Little Aquaman right? <laughs> sorry I read Ragman yeah did I did I <laughs> I don't remember you told me you did I read Ragman I don't really want to talk about Ragman number four but I, I have a question about the greater DCU because of Ragman four okay all right there was a direct reference to Shining Knight in this issue. And you may remember that in the in the Demon Hell is Earth miniseries, mm-hmm. there was also a reference to Demon Knights. Demon, Demon Knights. Are we headed for some sort of stealth, covert Demon Knights or like 
Seven Soldiers-ish revival down the road? Or is this just coincidence? Hmm. Zach, do you have a strong feeling about this? No, I don't. That's interesting, though. I, uh... I, I don't know. I This doesn't seem like the way to do it, but... See, I don't think that book sold enough to have this kind of revival at this point. I, what I like, though, is that that's, and we said this last time, like that's sort of the New 52 book that can be least touched by Rebirth because it takes place so far in the past. Who really cares, you know, about continuity stuff? Um, so I think it's cool that they keep referencing it, but I don't think we're going to see... I would say, if anything, we're more likely to see Seven Soldiers because... Because Morrison touched that, and Morrison is obviously, you know, still one of the two or three most important people to DC mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything with Demon Knights for a very long time, if ever again. I hope I'm wrong, but I just can't see that. Okay. I just thought it was really interesting that... Oh, it is. I think it's so weird that it happened, like, within a month of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the reference to Shining Knight in this? They they just literally show like a flashback of Shining Knight throughout the years. I don't I don't remember the context of it, but it's like it's like one page and it shows like various forms of Shining Knight. Interesting. I couldn't tell you. I I don't remember why. This isn't a good book. So, but I just saw Shining Knight and I went ah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 18, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Sergio Sandoval. Um, we, we we get a Creeper appearance for the first time <laughs> since his uh, Deathstroke appearance in that amazing Chicago issue last year. Or was that might have even been 2015? No. I'm sorry, 2016. I keep yeah. I keep forgetting we're in 2018, so I was thinking two years ago. Yeah, it might have even been uh, like the first in the first six months of Deathstroke or something. It was like issue seven, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we also get Bizarro starting to really lose his marbles here. Yep. Pop pop. Yep. Pop up in the attic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> smells smells like pop. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've got a hot take here. Okay. Scott Lobdell wrote the best issue of DC Comics this week. <laughs> <laughs> After New Superman, I'll I'll give that to you. Sex, no, sex, I think I, best in my... I okay. All right. I'm I might quibble with that a little bit too, but but you're not you're not wrong in spirit. <laughs> um. This book is still really good, guys. I don't know. It if is I, really good. Yeah, really good. No, I think this issue is really good. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think, I think, I think the Bizarro stuff is really good. But I couldn't give a shit less about what Artemis and and Red Hood are doing. But I think Lobdell realizes that, and that's why it's become essentially a Bizarro book. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. The Bizarro elements are all on point. Like, the chibi Superman minion that he's seeing and the bathing himself in synthetic kryptonite. Just fantastic stuff. Really, really off-the-wall type stuff that I wish more writers would do. But um, Well, I just, like, this issue really kind of solidified for me how much Lobdell is doing right now. Like, for all the time that we've had a Red Hood in the Outlaw comic, which is so, like, God help me, seven years now, right? Six and a half, yeah. Six and a half-ish. I mean, it was like 2011, yeah. So, um, he's actually doing something meaningful with the team right now. Like, they're actually, they have, like, that, you know, the the section where um, Jason is riding around cloaked on his bicycle is, you know, a kind of, a lot of unnecessary exposition, but he kind of breaks down just like how far they've come. You know, they have this like floating fortress in the sky. They're, they're doing things now. Like the bizarro is trying to expand the team into, you know, almost kind of like their own little Titans almost sort of. Um, and man, I really dig it. Like I'm, if the book could stay like this and stay at this level, it might crack my top 10. <laughs> I just feel like I can't believe this is the same Lobdell. He's taking so many chances <clears throat> in this book. Like there, There's a lot of of stuff in this book that that is legitimately unusual for these characters. He's really yeah. breaking new ground. I can't believe it. Yeah. But not like dumb chances because I let's be honest, I I feel like in the new fifty two he took a lot of chances too. They were just all the wrong ones. Like, did he really take chances? I think so. I think. So. I mean, yeah, he like created a ton of new characters and did like true. a lot of a lot of things. He incorporated the Legion lost characters into stuff. He Superboy was really different, even though it was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. I get you guys are right. Yeah. He, he like brought in Doom Patrol stuff kind of stealthily. Um Day to the Street. Just, yeah. He did, yeah. He's he, just he, that was like the one good idea that he ever had in the new fifty two, I yeah. thought. Yeah. But like I, I feel like he's he's taking chances that uh, with things that people generally like. Like people like when um When Bizarro am good. Well, people like Bizarro to begin with. But then people like, you know, ironic twists on characters like that i feel like i feel like turning bizarro into a super intelligent person temporarily is a twist that everybody would hear and they would go oh yeah i could see how that would be enjoyable you know whereas none of the stuff he was doing in the new 52 like yeah it was all new and all different but how do you pitch any of that stuff to anyone and and they go yeah that sounds like you know like like, remember how for months they were building up the culling? Yeah. Nobody uh-huh. knew what the hell that meant. And, like, it it was nothing. It turned out to be nothing. It, it, and it, it didn't do anything with the characters that people generally enjoy, you know? I feel like this book is being written because there's not very many outside consequences to it in a way that's, like, pure enjoyment like, let's just do what's fun with these characters, which is something that Lubdell didn't do when he was responsible for, like, three or four different books at a time. 
and like half like he he was responsible for the direction of the all the youth books at DC all the youth books in a line yeah right well I'll say this so um this is uh this is tangential but I promise it comes back to it so I, I was watching a uh, or rather listening to a podcast today featuring uh, one of my favorite jazz bands the Bad Plus and they were talking about how like in jazz there are these things that happen when people get really into doing something academically, like taking a song and changing its time signature for no reason. And they were saying that, like, you know, while that stuff is cool on the surface, it's only when it hits emotionally that you remember it or that you care. And I feel like what you said, Vince, about Bizarro being super smart, intellectually, people would be like, oh, that's an interesting idea. But the reason this works is because Lobdell is writing a Bizarro you care about. Mm, like, mm-hmm. And that's the more interesting part to me. It's not that... I think a lot of the ideas in the New 52, now that you're saying it, like now that we're talking about this, he did have some interesting ideas. They were just written so coldly and without emotional um, anchor, whereas these ish- these ideas are, are not necessarily more brilliant. They're just more grounded in who these characters are and who we expect them to be. Hmm. A stunned silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's shag ass here. Got the Suicide Squad, <laughs> number 33. Uh, we get a, a, a guest-written issue, guys. I didn't even notice. Written by Cy Spurrier, illustrated by Fernando Pissarin. You didn't notice, is really? It, is, is it still bad? Did, did neither of you guys read this? Oh, I read it. I read, I read it. Suicide Squad and... Oh, I don't remember. Vince, what do you think of this? Because you're, you are the most vocal hater of the Rob Williams Suicide Squad. Uh, the best thing about it was the, the homage com- cover to the Chaikin, uh, yeah Ost- Ostrander co- cover of, I think, number one. Yeah. That yeah. cover was pretty great. That was the best thing about this book. It introduces this character who Juan calls himself so- a red shirt the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it's this really on the nose joke about this character that's doomed to die by being thrown in with the suicide squad. And he's just written as this like really sad, like this is, this is Cy adding a character that I, that he doesn't make you feel anything for and then abuses for an entire issue. <laughs> You know? He's Gil from The Simpsons. <laughs> I wish it were that funny. Yeah. But, yeah, this was just, this was painful. I think the Suicide Squad needs to be over. Good <laughs> luck, buddy. I know. It's just, what did you think, Brian? Did you read this? I did. Um, I, I when I saw it wasn't uh, Rob Williams. I got very excited for a second. I think that there is the seed of an interesting power set with this character, where he has like nanites in his hand and therefore can open any lock. But yeah, that, that could be something kind of interesting. And so when it started, I'm like, all right, we'll see where this goes. And then it literally is just repeating its same joke over and over and over again. Yeah, the joke is that he knows how how 
how these things turn out that he's a that he's a red shirt and he knows that he's got shit luck and he's the kid from uh last action hero sure he's narrating how the action movie's supposed to go yeah yep and that's not that interesting to me no no they don't make you care about him you know it's 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 like you were just saying about bizarro there's no tether here that makes this guy interesting there's yeah. no emotional connection I will say, it seems like Spurrier was at least trying to establish that connection. I just don't think it worked, which is better than, I guess, what what Williams is doing every month in this book, which to me just feels like doubling down on the stupidity and not trying to have any emotional connection. But that's, that, that's not exactly a glowing review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go to Suicide Squad. I'd never rather just got off Suicide Squad. Uh, Supergirl number 17, written by Steve Orlando and Jody Hauser, illustrated by uh, Robson Roca with a few pages of uh, Julio Ferreira at, at the end. Um, I think this might have been one of the better issues of the week. Again, not saying that much, but I thought this was a, a reasonably solid issue of this book. I, I, I thought that the... Uh, the sort of freak of the week character was it was a little bit much, but overall I don't think there was much. There wasn't that much to dislike about this issue. I thought the big thing holding this issue back was the art. Um, oh, I is this this is, uh, Rocha Roca right still? Yeah, yeah. I still really like Roca. Hmm. There's there's something not doing it for me with with Roca's art. I thought the art was innocuous. Yeah, I don't know. Just like I think sometimes it's exaggerated in 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 the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree. With I that. wonder if I know what you mean. I, I think I know <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I didn't really care for this issue very much. I I don't know. I uh I don't know. I just can't I, I just can't really get excited about this book. What's holding it back for you, Zach? I I mean, I, I, part of it's just kind of the same thing with a lot of the books. There's just not really much of anything happening. Um, I feel like this book has had a really hard time of juggling its the Kara side of things and the Supergirl side of things. I feel like we get these small little vignettes of her, like in school or doing things at the at the whatever the um, the news place the catco um and and i feel like we are made to think that there's been more progression on those fronts than there actually has been if that makes sense Hmm. like i i try to like think back to past issues and i really just don't feel like we've spent that much time in those areas um 
there, there just hasn't been a lot of like growth or progression there. And I think that's maybe some of the more interesting aspects of this version of Supergirl. I, I kind of wish this comic was maybe more like 60 to 70% her just, you know, being a, if this was more like a slice of life type thing. And then the other 30% is Supergirl type adventures. Mm-hmm. Like Whereas Supergirl I feel like, being super. Yeah, yeah. Where I, so I feel like this is, yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like this is the opposite of that, and I just, I, I don't know. It, it feels like it kind of like squanders the potential of what the book was set up as. I guess I can see that. I, I feel like one of the problems with this book is that it has tried to establish essentially an entirely new status quo for the character that it's taking a little bit from the show and a little bit from various incarnations and are are trying to make it something really different and really unique. And I think in some ways it's succeeding, but the problem is that it's a whole lot to be introducing kind of piecemeal one bit at a time while still trying to tell an ongoing story with the with the book. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you're getting like a piece of it here and there, but then it goes a few months or a few issues rather with uh, without like touching on the thing that it just established. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much what I was trying to get at. I think yeah, I think I I agree with you. Um, I, I'm still enjoying it though. I, I I do wish that it had more time to, and I, and I also think you're right, Zach, in terms of. The Catco stuff and the school stuff, that is more interesting to me at the moment than just another Kryptonian flying around. Mm-hmm. So I do wish there was more of that. Vince, anything to add? No, I, I, I think that's a really fair take, Zach. I think I'm enjoying the book a little bit more than you. I, I do think there is something there's something holding it back from from being a truly great take on Supergirl. But for the most part, I'm enjoying it. I have one more thing to add, which is uh, if you look at the cover, do you think... Great cover, by the way. Do you think Kara just got done saying, I don't know? Yes, absolutely. All right. Zach, you get that one? I don't think so. Oh. Wow. I'll stop that. Thanks for that. I got three quarters of the way through the UK to that television theme song before I get out there. Just, uh, <laughs> just for the record. Oh, yeah. Alright. Uh, let's get to the finale of Superwoman. Superwoman number 18. Written by Kay Perkins, illustrated by Max Rayner, who I don't think did any other issue of this book, did he? No, I don't think so. Um, but I think I think Max Rayner. I I think I'm a fan. I I think the art in this issue was really good, but for a book that I've loved and defended for a year and a half now, this is a fart in the wind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't I don't even remember how this factors into the wager we made. I don't even remember what did anyone write it down? It, it's, yeah, it, I, I win. I believe that the wager was that she was gonna be depowered at the end of it. That Vince said she'd be that, depowered. That she would not appear yes. I believe well, one of you said she would have many appearances as Superwoman. I think I said that. Yeah, yeah I said and, that. And the I other one I, said I think I said she'll appear like sporadically as Superwoman. Yes, you said she would still have the Superwoman powers and would appear, but not not be a major part of anything, appear a few times. I think it was something like three or less in the next year. And I said, Superwoman's done after this. No well, powers. Okay, let me say this. Uh-huh. It sort of ends on an ambiguous note. You're led to believe her powers are gone, but there's no confirmation of that. And I think that's done on purpose. Come on, man. It's done on purpose for like... If, you're not going to have like Dan Jurgens bring her into action or Bendis bring her in and be like Superwoman again. I don't if think Bendis that's... wants it. It'll happen. Oh God. All right. Whatever this... Bendis wants, <laughs> Bendis gets. Sorry. This 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 bet hinges on Bendis. Then okay, he's got a year. They have a year from this week of comics from January tenth. To... Yes, from January tenth to reintroduce Superwoman and then I lose the bet. But I'm I'm thinking that's not going to happen. So I'm right now I'm I'm in the lead. We'll, we'll see you in a year and we'll figure out who won. Well here's the thing. I think and we'll get to the actual issue in a second. I think there's no reason for them to keep her with powers, but I think they purposely did not take them away. In case they ever find a reason to keep to bring her back, like really, I, I think at this point you're going to see both Lana and Steel go away for a while, because they just don't seem to be factoring into anyone else's plans. So maybe the idea is, well, once we figure out what we want to do with them, then we can make the decision if she's depowered or not. Sure. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. It's kind of like the, the, the path of least resistance. Just. We're we're putting a we're putting a pin in this. And we're not quite dis- establishing what's happening yet. Okay. Um, but I mean, could could you think of a worse way to wrap up this book? <laughs> um. Yeah, I could think of a worse way only because I liked just the very last page with her and John Henry. Uh-huh. Like, you could have you could have ended the book with her getting her head ripped off. That is true. And and Lana's dead. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just kind of the full page shot of 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 Lana, you know, it, that was fine. The issue was nothing, but you know, if if it's the last issue of a book, I like that as the last page, you know. Yes, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, all those things. I was. <laughs> um, I think the, the least invested in this book still, I, I really did kind of lose interest after Phil Jimenez left. And this issue was about the most, you know, milk toast ending to a series. I think you could have like it. Mm-hmm. it it's, it's, it's fine. See, to me, it's such a bummer that this is the book that's ending when, like, Batgirl the Birds of Prey continues. Just because those characters have interesting things happening elsewhere 
and this character doesn't. You could have kept this character and these characters, you know, between uh, Atomic Skull and Steel and Natasha and Tracy 13 and Maxima. There's like a, a healthy slew of characters in this book that are not represented anywhere else. Yeah. All right. Fare thee well, Superwoman. You deserve better than this shit. Uh, let's go to Titans number 19, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Paul Pelletier. Um, so this one I feel like is we're going to have some interesting discussion about, possibly. Uh, what do you think of the Justice League pulling the dad card here? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I never expected them to uh, call back to that uh, pre-rebirth Justice League issue that Dan Abnett wrote. Oh, oh. With, remember uh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with, uh, with Dick and Bruce, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that scene. Yeah, that scene is directly in this issue. Right. Yeah. I never expected that for some reason. I thought we were done with that, but here's here's what I'll say. You guys have known me long enough. I hate it when uh, superheroes fight with one another. Yep. Um, I think it's natural for superheroes to show superheroes in disagreement about the way to go about things. I don't like the whole, like, this team versus that team uh, or just, you know, like Civil War type, like Marvel Civil War, or if they were to split up the Justice League into factions, you know. I'm just not a fan of that. I think the concept, though, of there always being some sort of parental-type tension between the Justice League and the Titans or the Teen Titans really works. I think that's fertile ground for storytelling exploration. I don't think this made a whole lot of sense. Like, I don't think... I don't think the reasons they give for not being able to trust Wally are good enough. I don't think the reasons that they give for, you know, wanting to shut down the team make any sense when they themselves are pretty much doing the same, you know, like who are they to tell this other group of adults right. how to <laughs> how to superhero, you know? I I I will say that the Wally thing makes a little bit of sense to me. Well, how, how so? When Batman says, like, you could basically undo time without want, without realizing it. Like, that would be a legitimate concern for the Justice yeah, League. Yeah, B- B- Barry Allen actually did that. Oh, I'm not saying that that, that is not hypocritical, but the difference is Barry chose to do it. I think what they're saying here is, just like, <laughs> Wally is so, you know, uh, not in control right now that he doesn't even realize he's doing it. But at least that's a, that's a more legitimate concern to me than Troy. Like, literally in Detective Comics right now, we're dealing with a future <laughs> uh, uh, Jason, um, Tim Drake, and, you know, Batman says, like, you know, doesn't mean that's our future, that's a possible future, but when it's Donna Troy, all of a sudden it's definitely going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yep. I will say, I, I am typically a fan of Paul Pelletier's work. And there was some good stuff in this, but I thought towards the end, he's drawing a lot of characters, and uh, not all of them worked for me visually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I generally like 
I, I liked his art in this issue. I thought it was pretty solid. He, I, I think he's a good fit for this book. I mean, there's no Brett Booth. No. <laughs> Bort Breath. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there pizza in this issue is a big question. Oh, I don't know. Was pizza I, fish sc- mentioned? I'll, I'll take a look here. I'll scour the... Not seeing any pizza. Pizza, pizza, pizza. So what were you going to say, though, Vince? Oh, I was just going to say... I like I like that these two teams are interacting in this way. I just didn't think. I thought this was a little unbelievable. Yeah. My favorite little art flourish that Pelletier did is in that flashback sequence. We get it; it's colored differently. It's almost in like a sepia tone. Mm. Like it just it really stood out in that way. Yeah. Uh, scrolling through this issue, the, the, two, two, the two characters I mean are, I don't think that Wonder Woman or Dick looked very good in this issue. I thought it was good Dick. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. What? Oh, I just had the, like, compulsion to make a Kanye lyric reference, but I stopped myself. Why? <laughs> I just did. Good dick do that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, never resist that urge, Zach. Okay. That is the one impulse we will always allow you to give into. <laughs> Even if you just stop responding to our questions regularly and just start answering us in Kanye. Like, talk, I'll, yeah. I'll be cool with that. All right, just as, just as long as you don't mention uh, getting bleach on your t-shirt or anything well. like that. It would make me feel like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we could just end the show on that note. That would be the perfect note to go out on. Um, Yeah. But we got to talk about The Wildstorm Michael Cray, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by N. Stephen Harris. Zach, did you read this issue? I did, yeah. I'm surprised. Well, I know. I'm reading this book. I'm still reading this book. I don't care for it, but I'm still reading it. I thought you would have dropped it by now because of your mercy. No, no. Well, no. It it has the fact that it's a Wildstorm book, and it's only one of the two right now going for it. Um, But, yeah, I I don't care for it. Um, Vince? I still like this book. I, I like it. I think, I think, pitting the the Wildstorm characters against this bad Justice League or, or bad Justice League analogs is surprisingly interesting. When the concept itself makes me throw up in my mouth, <laughs> um, the, but the way they're doing it is really interesting. I'm buying the characterization here, even though this Barry is not the Barry we know. I'm I'm buying his power set applied to this character, and um, and I, I I really I really felt all the character beats in sort of getting Michael Cray close to Barry Allen in this unique way, and then ultimately having him betray Barry. You know, yes, it was kind of I totally bought the 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 sort of uh the sort of twist there and like the betrayal especially with the final 
uh, like one of the last pages, he says, okay, the next one I'm after better actually be evil because he, in some ways he sympathized with Barry, right? Yes. yes. And, and I thought that was really effectively done. Um, I thought the art I've liked and Stephen Harris's art in this book, I think in this particular issue, there was some sequencing stuff that didn't play exactly well. Like when at the very end, the scene where Barry runs in from, from that point until the time that he's killed, the action's not exactly as clear as it could be. I thought. I also think this is his least consistent issue in terms of making characters look consistent from panel to panel, page to page. I think that too. I think so, I think some of it is stylistic choice. I think some of it's very stylized. Right. But I think. Did you yeah. uh, Did you notice that this issue had breakdowns by Larry Hama? Did no. it? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh man, I La- didn't. Larry Hama does breakdowns every now and then. He was doing it for Deathstroke for a while. I feel like that's something he's very good at. Yeah, as, as... I wonder why though. Like why? Why this issue? You know. I think I think a lot of times it it's a speed thing huh? where, you know, if the artist doesn't have to worry about like uh uh thumbnailing the whole issue and figuring out the pacing and all of that, if Hama can come in and do that for them, then they can, you know, do their job faster. At least that's how I understand it. That's really interesting though. I I just I think it's like Deathstroke I kinda get. I think it's interesting they pulled him in on this one. Does it really I, I matter would, like what the subject matter is if you trust his his artistic skills? No, but it's just like who goes like, hey, we need Larry Hama for this issue, you know? Like, like, why why don't we ever see him doing a Superman issue or something like that? You know, I'm not saying it matters. I'm just saying it's really uh, I, like that, that is interesting. Okay, I can see what you mean. You know what I mean? Just like like who decided. I mean, maybe Warren Ellis decided because he's the curator. But who was like, uh, "Hey, uh, Larry Hama, Michael Cray this time," you know? I mean, I... especially because he's not doing this on a regular basis. Like we see him once in a while, right? You know, I think part of it might just be when somebody calls DC and says, "Look, I'm really swamped. I'm behind. Can somebody help me with layouts?" They might have four or five guys in their stable that they think, "Okay, we can trust." this person with this layout we're already rushed for time you know Hama's not gonna fuck it up so badly that we can't use it we trust him to get this done in a timely fashion so let's use him for that sure um but that is interesting i didn't i didn't note that zach thank you for pointing that out um so i i I, as usual as i always say i kind of fall in between you guys on this book my question about this book though is is there going to be, and I hate this question, is there going to be a point to this book? Because it feels odd to me that Warren Ellis has this very specific sort of plan in mind for the Wildstorm line, and we're getting a book that seems like it's really just a like a a, uh, a souped up what if or uh, or like a, like Ultimate Universe version of these characters. And I wonder mm. if there's going to be a greater, quote, point to it. I don't think it necessarily needs to be. I just think it's an odd choice for Ellis as the second Wildstorm book to be doing this, like, faux DC crossover book. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was like a weird thing about this book from the start. It it doesn't fit. It, it always seems strange to me that if there are only going to be four books in this in this iteration of um, of Wildstorm, why the first one is is this and not something else? Well, and why is this one? the second longest running. I, th- I think it's weird to do it this way, but I wonder if it's almost semi, it, it's pragmatic in one way, but it's also semi like metatextual in another way for Warren Ellis to just say, we are going to systematically get rid of the quote unquote justice league so that you understand that these characters are not around. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, we're going to break down Michael Cray and show how, you know, he can get all this shit done, but it's taking a toll on him, too. Uh, I do think it's interesting to to do a 12 issue mini maxi series to, to get that done. Um, I do think it's weird that this is the first spinoff title coming off of Wildstorm, but but. I, that's the logic that I've sort of teased out from this. That it's like, look, if you, if you if you wanted the Wildstorm Justice League crossover, here it is. But they're bad and they're all dying. You know. <laughs> I wonder if if it, part of this is also pragmatic in the sense that the other stuff he wants to do needs more time to build, but he realized there had like and and Zach, I don't think he said that this is only a four-book iteration. I think he said there's only going to be four books running at the same time. That's what I mean, like, this iteration. That's okay. what I mean. Okay, I think about, like, like this, overall. This, no, like, this this block, I right, guess, yeah. this programming block or yeah. whatever you want to call it, yeah. So, so I wonder if he realized, like, all right, well, I have stuff I have to set up in the Wildstorm number 16 that's going to lead to this book, and this thing is coming in this issue, but... We can't just have one book happening for a while. To tide fans over, let's do this like relatively slight maxi-series that might attract some mainstream DC fans because they're Elseworlds versions of these other characters. And maybe then they'll stick around when the when the stuff gets more interesting. I can see that. It just seems odd to me because it seems like Ellis is a guy who can do whatever he wants at this point. And it's odd to me that this is what he wants. All right. That brings us to our final book of the week, Wonder Woman number 38, written by James Robinson, illustrated by Emmanuel Lupicino. Um, so... I know Vince, capital H, hated this book. This is the worst book of the week. I don't know about that. Man, it was no, the it worst was. book that I read. It, it was the worst. It made me the maddest, that's for sure. I'm not saying this is a good book, because it certainly is not. But I don't know if it was well, as bad as like Suicide Squad. Well, Emmanuel Lupacchino's art was nice. Yeah, she's that's great. That's for sure. She's great. So I, I was saying to the boys before the episode started, I kind of like the first few pages of this. I'm I'm a sucker for whenever there's a uh, 
so-and-so's best friend story, a Jimmy Olsen story, that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm always a sucker for that sort of stuff. So to give Wonder uh-huh. Woman a pal, I'm okay with that. Once that stopped being what it was, I have no interest in this comic. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I felt. Um, so I'm reading George Perez's Wonder Woman right now, right? How far into you? Uh, 36 or 38 issues, somewhere in there. Out Almost of about four. 70, right? Out of about, yeah, 68 or something. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Vanessa Capitalis and her mom, Julia Capitalis, are major characters in Wonder Woman's, uh, like, Earth home life. And the arc that she goes on with those characters is really sweet. And she she shows up. She's you know, stays with them for a while. And then she has to go because of something... In that's happening in Themyscira, you know, and and it's always really bit, bittersweet when she leaves, and there's always this uh, excitement when she comes back, and there's this real, real like very sweet arc that they're going through with these characters, and I felt like like when I first saw her, I was like, oh man, they're br- they're bringing her back in, you know, this is going to give her another tether to like the Earth side of of Diana, right? Like the the man's world part. And in less than an issue, they shit on that (laughs) by making her a villain. And, you know, I guess they don't have to go back and, and do the, 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 the George Perez thing again. And that's fine. But to take like such a wonderful character from the past, one of Diana's, you know, like true female allies that she has, or friends, you know? See, I wasn't even aware this was a, an older, older character. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and to turn... I mean, there's been stuff done with this character in the past, too, along these same lines, you know? But this was an opportunity to kind of fix that, I felt. And instead, they just had to turn into, like, another another villain. And in such, like a like, a... Just careless cruel way you know and then apart from that this focus on jason is just not working at all and it really feels like wonder woman's become like a second class citizen in her own book i i feel like that is something that happens with the biggest characters in comics more frequently than it should but a lot of times it's done intentionally. Like there has definitely been arcs of Batman where and I'm not saying this way the Tom King run them, but Batman or Detective, there have been arcs of Batman centric books where the point of it is that you're learning about Batman through his supporting cast. Mm-hmm. This is not that. No, and Wonder Woman never gets that, you know? Uh, this, part this part of that's th- because because I think historically her supporting cast has not been as robust as some of the other big characters. Well, that's what I'm saying. This would have been a perfect opportunity to make Vanessa part of that supporting cast again, you know. Mm -hmm. But we don't do that in comics anymore, you know. Like, there are, like, issues of George Perez's Wonder Woman where she spends, like, a third of the issue just, like, palling around with the capital eye and and just, like, you know, being buds 
and we don't have time for that anymore, I guess. We don't do stuff like that anymore. It's all boom, 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 action. Everybody's got to be an asshole. And <laughs> it just sucks. It's just I got this character, and I thought, oh, we get her back, and it's going to be another tether, and it's not, you know? Maybe it can be salvaged by the end of this arc, you know? Maybe she'll be depowered and back to normal or something, but what a really sour note to, like... Because she even played into, like, the the whole Diana always leaves thing. Uh But instead of making it, like, a bittersweet event that she understands, of course it's, well, Diana left and she doesn't show up anymore and she's she's an asshole and now I'm a, a bad guy, you know? You know what would somewhat salvage this arc for me? Somebody give me a, give me a what? What? If Jason got an STD, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, that would save the arc. If it just it, if all of his storyline is about how it burns when he pees and how he has to go to a clinic and all this, and Diana has these frank talks to him about safe sex, and uh, yeah, because mm. honestly, nothing that interesting will ever happen to this character. It's so bad. Why? Why? Why, Zach, Zach, are you on board with with us? I mean, with me. What do you mean? Like this is really, really bad. Yeah, this is a, this is awful. <laughs> this is this is really bad. I was just arguing that it was the worst comic of the week because I read Suicide Squad. Uh huh. That's all I was saying. Well, you can shit in one hand and crap in the other. <laughs> yes, that is the famous expression. <laughs> <laughs> that old that old chestnut we all know by heart <laughs> that all of our grandmas had cross stitched in their homes <laughs> above the dining room table you can shit in one hand and crap in the other fool me twice <laughs> won't get fooled again uh, um yeah i i just i just <laughs> why 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 is Jason a thing? I don't get it. Are they are they really going to try to make him a hero? Is this going to be like a are we going to go on an arc with him where he learns to be a hero or I don't know. I don't who could possibly I will I'll say this. The uh, sausages hanging from the land. The that was the best lamp. part of the issue. No joke. It <laughs> reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer and Newman are making sausages in Jerry's apartment. Yeah. And and Jerry comes in and he goes, I thought you said you were just going to watch a video. <laughs> and, and Kramer says, hey, buddy, uh, instructional video of making sausages. <laughs> oh, that's Seinfeld. It's a wacky show. It is. I, I did find that touch pretty humorous, actually. Like of, of all the things at a party to happen, you have sausage links from the from the chandelier or whatever. That's uh, you know. Well, I I I want to believe that was all Lupacino. Yeah. Well, folks, that does it for this snoozeroony of a week. <laughs> uh, this was really bad. Can I can I brighten things up by announcing what the what our next book is going to be? Our next uh, like book club, a reading thing? Yeah. Yeah, go for it, bud. When are we going to do that? Um, 
your call. Do you want to wait till maybe after some of the New Age of Heroes stuff, or do you want to dive right in for like a week or two from now? Well, yeah, on the thirty first is the week. With, it's the fifth week. It's the week with all the annuals and stuff. Uh-huh. So, do you want? Would you want to slip a couple uh, issues of this in? Sure. S- start on the show for the thirty first. Yeah, that works. Sounds all right. good. We will be reading. The Vertigo Shade the Changing Man, the first ten issues. Ooh. Have you ever have you read that? Not in years and years. Oh, so you but you have. But uh, honestly, then I read it when I was in high school. So we're talking okay. almost twenty years ago. All right. Yeah. And, and, Zach, and I've Zach never read that. Okay. No, I've never read it. I thought you were gonna have us read uh, the Millennium Crossover. <laughs> that would have been You had said yeah, that. I, did I say that? Yeah. Not on the not on the air, but to to at least to me privately. Well, I think I said like hmm, maybe I'll have you read that, but oh, that okay. was like no, I that was never my pick. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. No, this is my pick. Okay, shade. I guess I just One... tell my kids we're not going on vacation this year because I bought all the first print pressings of all those <laughs> issues. So uh, no, I'm, sure, I'm sure you did, and I'm sure it would have cost me the same as a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yep, one one through ten, Peter Milligan, Chris uh, Bacalo, Bacalo. Mm-hmm. I think Bacalo. I think Bacalo. I think it's Bacalo. Is it okay? Bacalari. Bobby Bacalari. Yeah. Yeah. Gabagool. Karen's pasta. <laughs> and scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's fun. That'll be good. I uh, I decided on what my next one's going to be, and you guys are going to be mad at me again, so I can't wait to do it. Oh, can you tell us or no? No. Because <laughs> Zach, Zach gets, Zach gets the Zach, pick after you, so. Yeah, yeah next. Do you, do you have your next one? Um, No, I don't. Okay. My, my next one after this is going to be just the one issue where Jeff Johns finally got to write his favorite Hawkman joke. <laughs> We're just going to read that and revisit it. And... About somebody else's blood, that one? Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so before we go today, I, I do want to talk about something fun, DC-related. Not fun. Fun is the absolutely wrong word for this, DC-related, <laughs> though. Uh, so I mentioned before I was talking to our, our pal Kevin Gregory of the Make Mind Multiversity podcast. And we were talking about DC stuff. And, and he's he is a young man. I want to say he's like 22, maybe. And he's only been reading comics for two years. So a lot of times when he and I talk, I'll, I'll tell him about something and he'll like he can't believe that it's actually a thing. <laughs> and I remind, I told him today about the old column at CBR, the B and B column, the Bobby Chase and Bob Harris column. Oh yeah. And we were just talking about this on the show not that long ago, but I found the last installment of that column um, on CBR, <laughs> and I remembered that it ended under somewhat controversial terms the way i remembered it was that like there was a because er, once a month or so they would have a straight interview and then once a month fans could write in with questions and i thought that there was like in one of the interview ones cbr asked something that they weren't comfortable with and then there was an announcement like a week or two later saying like this was that was the last b and b column blah 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 it's way weirder than that the que- so it, it was like a mailbag installment, and a writer said, like, I'm – I want to say they said, like, I'm 
an LGBTQ person. They didn't identify themselves more than that. And so that I'm an LGBTQ person, and I'm really upset that Oz, that Orson Scott Card is writing that story in the Adventure <sighs> Superman Digital thing. And then there's no answer. It just says, CBR regrets to inform you that DC decided not to continue with this column. When we pitched them, it was going to be a, a wide-spanning column, but it's clear that they don't care about digging into the more important issues, and so this is no longer happening. It happens midway through the column. Yeah, <laughs> they, I'm reading it right now. They canceled the column. It's so weird. Oh, man. Uh... Like, remember that was a thing? That was the worst thing. I do remember column. that, yeah. Every, everything was Oh, like, I thought you were going to say that, that Orson Scott Card thing was the worst because that... Oh, that is terrible, that, too. That whole, that whole thing was the worst. Yes. No, with that column, it would be like, you know, a, a, a reader would write in like, you know, I'm a big Legion fan. When are we going to see the Legion of Superheroes? One of them would say, the 31st century. And then it would say, laughs. And that would be their answer. Like, for every fucking thing. It was never a serious answer. Or it was like, oh, that's interesting. We'll take that under advisement. Nothing was ever said in that column that was any bit of actual information. It was just the worst. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got more out of Dan DiDio in that uh, hey, one-on-one. Lucy Goosey, it's the holidays. Lucy Go- We're Lucy Goosey here. No, I, I, honestly, I would love to be able to chat with Dan on a more regular basis because I think that he he uh, I think he was a great sport with our interview. So very glad about that. All right, folks, we're gonna get out of here. You can follow the three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian needs a nap. I'm at Vince Ostrowski. I'm at Sir Fox eighty nine. Pick up the first ten issues of Shade the Changing Man for our book club starting on the thirty first, which will be actually the installment that comes out on. Uh, let's look at the date here, February seventh. So um, make sure to pick up those issues, and uh, until next time, cancel Suicide Squad. <laughs> cancel Suicide Squad, uh, the sequel, the movie, also. Also, so that we don't have to have any more Batfleck. Because that's supposed... Did you see that today? No. Yeah, we're getting Gyllenhaal Fleck. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't see that. I just saw that Suicide Squad 2 is rumored to be the last Batfleck appearance. See, I had I had read that it's going to be Flashpoint is the last Batfleck appearance. I can't remember where I read it. It was just in a thing today. Yeah. Um, it it might have been on News Rama. I can't remember. No, it was on IGN. Here it is. Man, if if I was in charge of the DCEU, I would end the Batfleck appearances by having Batman vaping in his car looking so sad. (laughs) Uh, If you like your comics, you can keep them.